Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. First Peter, the last couple of weeks we see in that first part of the letter, Peter lays the groundwork by telling us who we are in Christ. The second part of the letter tells us how we're to live a, how we are to live consistent with who we are. The second part of the letter has a direct bearing on how we deal with the sufferings and trials of our life. And today I want to share with you about suffering. How do we deal with suffering? If you have your Bibles with me today, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, and we are going to park here for a while today. 20 years ago, when my wife and I moved to Toledo, uh, we, were, we rented, did the whole little thing, rent apartment for a couple years, and decided, this is home, let's start looking for a house. So we went out and looked for a house and found our first home that we wanted to purchase. We're excited when we got it and, you know, went in and did all the things that you usually do when you first get your home is we're going to paint, we're going to rechange this and make it our home. So we did that. And once that was done, the first, you know, a couple months after that, things were great. We were loving our, our house. And then the first problem came along. We had the sink in our bathroom that decided that the water was not going to drain anymore. And, you know, so I thought, okay, I'm going to do the right thing here. I'm going to go to the store and buy some Drano. And I went to the store and bought the Drano and put it in the sink. And the sink seemed to, you know, you know water went away. And I thought, yes, my first thing that I fixed in our house. <laughs> well, that was a totally different plan. The next day, the sink started backing up again. So I'm like, oh, I got plenty of Drano left. I'm going to dump this in here. So I dumped it in the sink and kind of watched it go down. And I decided, well, I'm going to get underneath the sink and take off the pipes and maybe just clean it up there. Yeah, it was a little messy and got it all put back together and turned the water on and let it run and then watch it fill up and not go anywhere. And I remember standing there at the sink, looking at the sink, and my wife Marin comes in, and she's looking at it, and she looks over to me and says, you want me to call my dad to come fix it? <laughs> I'm like, what? Call your dad to come fix this? I got this. I'm a man. I got this sink. So I run to the store and I buy one of those, those plumber snakes and come back and I start you know, going in the sink and plumbing and pushing that snake through it and there's nothing happening. So the genius that I am, I said, well, I'm gonna go right down into the basement and find where the sink piping's coming in and I'm gonna take the pipes off right there. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. So I go, and i like, this is the best spot to take this pipe off. And I take it off, and I put the snake in, and I can feel where it's, it's, it's plugged up. And I start to push and twist. And then I'm like, all right, I'm going to pull back on this thing. <laughs> now, I remind you, I'm in the basement. The piping's above my head. <laughs> so I pull, and everything that was backed up, came on me, this black, stinky, hairy water <laughs> all over me. 
And if you know me, I don't do well with smelly things. I started to gag. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna get sick. And I'm yelling, why does this happen to me? Why, why, why? And I look over, and Marn's laughing, thinking it's the best thing in the world. I'm reminded, though, suffering is like a plumbing job. It can get messy. It can get, it can get stinky. In our lives, we have these plans. We have hopes. We have expectations for our business, for our marriage, our children, our retirement. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, suffering comes. Things in our life start to crack, curl, and fall apart. And that's the very last thing we want. We say, no, this can't be happening to me. This isn't what I want. And it seems that as humans, we are especially bothered by suffering. The first thing we want to know is, how can I avoid it? If I can't avoid it. How quickly can I get out of it, fix it, alleviate it, remove it? Or even if all fails, how can I numb it? But Peter says, no, I'm not going to give you the answers to any of those questions. I'm going to answer you the question you should be asking about your suffering. How do I do it right? How do I get good at it? Now, when I mention this word suffering, immediately sometimes we think about being sick. But suffering is is anything that we're dealing with that's heavy in our life. It's anything that we're going through. It can be the loss of a job. Anything that is hard in your life right now. It can be that your marriage is falling apart. Or it could be your finances are out of control. Or you have car problems. Whatever it is that is hard in your life right now. See, everyone's suffering is different. And suffering is is experienced as a weight. That's the very language we use to describe suffering. We say things like, I feel way down. This is heavy on my mind. Suffering is a weight that you carry. And sometimes it can be seen in ourselves. It can be seen when we walk down the hallways at church. It can be seen on our face expression. It can become all-consuming, even for Christians. It can become your identity. It can overshadow all the facts and evidence of God's grace and goodness in your life. So much that you become dark and bleak. And it's at its worst when you are suffering that you give yourself an excuse to sin. I'm hurting, I'm struggling, so I give myself permission to sin. I have an excuse to be bitter. I have an excuse to be rude. I have an excuse to numb my pain in ungodly ways. The way Peter addresses this is that he doesn't say suffering isn't heavy. There's no weight on you. There's no pressure. You shouldn't be struggling. He doesn't say just buck up and get over it. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Move on. He doesn't say real Christians don't suffer. He doesn't say if you had enough faith, you wouldn't suffer. He doesn't say if you love God more, you wouldn't suffer. No, he says that when Christians suffer, it's real. It's weighty. We're not going to disregard it or discredit it. We're going to outweigh it with heavier things. 
When I was in kids ministry, I used to love to bring things in with my message to the kids to kind of give them a, a little bit of an object to go with things. And so today I brought this scale in. How many of you guys have ever seen one of these kind of scales here? It looks like a kid's scale because I took it from our kids ministry. So, <laughs> and they don't know about it yet, so. <clears throat> but I brought this scale in here today. And this side of the scale right here is your suffering. And I want to watch, I want you to see when we suffer what happens sometimes in our life. You know, I brought this rock that just says suffering on it. And what happens is we start to suffer, we get way down. How many of you have ever felt that before? Yeah. See, Peter wants us to learn how to outweigh our suffering so that it's no longer the heaviest thing in our life. When you do that, suffering can be, the, can be the full purpose, we can have a full purpose of meaning. So what are these things that counterbalance your suffering? Peter mentions four of them, and today I wanna to give you four of these things that will counterbalance your suffering, will help you get through this suffering. The first counterweight to suffering is connection. And I, again, took something for kids ministry, this is a little guy, so if your preschooler comes home today and say, the guys were gone in the classroom. Pastor Keith took them. So, <coughs> connection. First Peter chapter three verse eight says, "Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Humble. We must connect with one another." We must connect with one another. At Calvary, our vision is life change, and we believe that happens when you connect, grow, and serve. You hear us all the time saying, connect, grow, serve. Church, we say connect. When we say that word connect, we're talking about this. This is a body. What are you doing to connect with each other? What are you doing to get to know each other? Sometimes we come in the church and we do this, we find our seats on Sunday morning and when we tell you turn and greet the person around you, you do your handshake and that's good and then you walk out the door and you do this to a couple of people. Mm, mm. How are you doing? And we walk out. That's not connecting. The people in the church should become your friends. They should become part of your family. And see, some of us don't seek this connection till we're suffering. See, we're superficially connected to the church until things fall apart. Then we run to the church and say, help, I need support, I need friends. And of course, we're gonna respond to you and try to help you. But the one thing we're gonna ask you, where are you connected? See, connecting is a spiritual discipline. It's just as hard as praying and reading the Bible. It's deliberately committing regular time to participate in the life and the rhythm of the church so you get to know the members of the body and they get to know you. Then when you suffer, then the people in the church you know, they can help you walk through your loneliness, your hurt, and you can do the same for them. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3 and 8 again. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. On any given Sunday, there are a number of people that walk in our door who are hurting, who are in need of sympathy and compassion. And in my opinion, to get this connection that Peter is talking about, 
It takes place in what we call a connect group. Connect groups at Calvary are small groups that meet in people's homes or here at the church. It's a chance for you to get to know somebody in your season of your life. It makes you be able to have that family for you to share the good times and the bad times together. Being a part of a connect group allows you to share those good times. See, we believe in connect groups so much that we take those different times throughout the year and say, okay, look, we're gonna have a connect group campaign and we're gonna have this many new groups start and for six weeks we want you to dive into a group and we're gonna discuss Pastor Chad's sermon. We're doing that currently right now and we're wrapping it up and I'm hearing stories come out of connect groups already that hey, people's lives are being changed because they connected with each other. They're making friends, they're sharing life together. I love connect groups. I'm passionate about them because I see what they do for people. In connect groups, Galatians chapter six, verse two takes place. Carry each other's burdens, and this is the way you will fill the law of Christ. My son Zach is off to college. We packed him up this summer to send him off to college, and he's out there playing football. And as a dad, I love the game of football. It is, I love watching it. I mean, on a Saturday or Sunday, I can sit there and watch every game. Just, I love the game of football. And I watch, I watch Zach grow up playing football and watch him develop into this player. And I've learned something new about this sport this year for him. See, when Zach reported this summer for camp and he had to be there, he told me right away, right away Dad, these guys on my team, they're my brothers. They're my brothers. And I thought, aw, how cute. He's got a family away from us. And he kept using this word brothers. See, from day one, his coach told him, we are family first. We will win together, we will lose together. We are family, and whatever you're going through, we are there for you. This will be our brotherhood that you will have your whole life. When you graduate, we will still be there for you. And I watched and learned, it's true. They have each other's back. When someone's down, they have a, they have a whole team picking them up. I watched new student, freshman students this year, a, a student, of his, a friend of his going through something with his mom and the team rallying around this kid saying, hey man, we got your back. We're here for you. They use the words constantly, your family. They have a fellowship together. And church, that is the way I see that a church needs to be. We are a football team. We are a large football team. We are brothers and sisters. We are family. And we need to be there for each other. We need to have each other's back. So when you're suffering, my family is there for you. And then when I'm suffering, you're there for me. When you use connect as a counterweight to suffering, it makes you a better, more loving Christian. How? It causes you to focus on the things that really matter. That's what Peter means by living in harmony. 
Harmony translates to being like-minded. Being like-minded is that, that we agree about everything. We may have differences about a number of things, like what color the church wall should be. Or should we eat more beef or more chicken? Or that all Cleveland teams are the best teams around. <laughs> you wanna talk about suffering? Try being a Cleveland Browns fan on a Sunday. I don't know why I do it every week. But through suffering and fellowship, you'll see more clearly what is really important. We see that Jesus Christ is more important. We see grace, we see the cross, we see forgiveness, we see heaven. When suffering is counterbalanced by connecting, Peter says it leads to sympathy, brotherly love, and compassion. That is so convicting but so important. Suffering in the body of Christ is used by the Spirit to make us less self-centered. It makes us more focused on other people. Not just our feelings, but in a tangible ways, expression of kindness. That's what compassion is. It makes us more like Christ. This is true for both the person suffering and those who are comforting him. Suffering Christians learn greater sympathy for others and those helping them to learn it. There are some of you, when we suffer, your first instinct is to hide, to pull back. Instead of coming to the body saying, help me, you pull back. And I don't know why we do this. Maybe it's out of privacy or shame or fear or you feel like you might be a burden. But I want you to, I want to remind you of this. Remember, God created you, and he loves you, and you are a great gift to the church. You teach us as we love you and serve you. We learn from you what God is teaching you through your things of suffering. You might not feel that at the time. You might not, you can't even think about that, but as we serve you, as you allow us to sympathize with you, you teach us what God is teaching you. When, it, when it's someone else's turn to suffer, we'll remember your example. You might not think you're a good example, but you are. Suffering will come, and it will weigh you down. Are you going to do it right? Are you investing in the body? For those of you who are suffering, don't neglect the connection that you can have here at the church. Don't see yourself as a burden. The blessing of connection is bigger than you can imagine. The second counterweight to suffering is the cross. Is the cross. We must remember the cross. Verses nine through 11. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. What is Peter talking about here? He's talking about Jesus dying on the cross. We see it in a few verses before this. Let's look at what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. He says, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. So he's talking about Jesus. He's talking about Jesus' suffering, how he did it, how he did it right. Then Peter says, 
In 1 Peter chapter uh, chapter three, verses nine through 11, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. Jesus' suffering on the cross is now your great calling. It's your example. The suffering of Jesus becomes a counterweight to your suffering. Our suffering is a tiny fraction of Jesus' suffering. Don't forget that Peter wrote this letter with, the, with suffering in mind. He was, practically, he, was, he was concerned that Christians know how to handle suffering inflicted on them by other people. That's often the bitterness of all suffering, isn't it? Peter says, remember the cross. Remember God. He sent his son to suffer. That penalty for your sin. His suffering means your suffering can be redeemed. It takes time to work that that in and apply it. But as you do, it becomes a glorious counterweight to your suffering. The third counterweight to suffering is God's love. It's God's love. Do you believe that God loves you? At all times? It's easy to believe God loves you on the day you get married. But sometimes it's harder on the day you have your first argument. It's easy to believe God loves you when you get a job or get a raise. It's harder when you get demoted or you get fired. It's easy when you're healthy, but it's hard when you're sick. It's easy when you're winning. It's hard when you're losing. It's in suffering times you have to give special attention to the love of God. You have to listen to the many ways he assures you of his love. The more you listen, the more tangible his love will become to you and the weightier it will become. How does God tell you he loves you when you're suffering? He says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. God is saying here, I see you. And it may seem to you, he doesn't see you. But what does he say? My eyes are on the righteous. That's comfort to know when we are suffering, God's eyes are on us. It's also a gentle warning. Don't use your suffering as an excuse to sin. The Lord is watching. The rest of 1 Peter chapter 12 says, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. God is saying, I hear you, and I know, church, it's easy at times when we're suffering and we're on our knees and we're crying out, God, help me. I need your help here. I need you to show me something, and we feel like God's not answering our prayers. We feel like our prayers are hitting the ceiling, but here it is in black and white, God's promise. His ears are attentive to our prayers. He's saying, I hear your groans. I hear your, cry, your cries. His ears are on, his eyes are on us. His ears are attentive to us. And I don't know about you, church, but knowing that helps me with everything that I have to deal with in my life. I know it's not a quick fix to your suffering, but if you believe it, it's comfort in your loneliness and your fear. 
The Lord doesn't stop there. He keeps speaking his love into your heart is full, full continuing in 1 Peter chapter 3, 12. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. One thing that sometimes makes suffering heavy is feeling injustice has won. If your suffering is caused by another person and that person seems to be just doing fine and you're not, that's a terrible weight, isn't it? But God wants you to be sure that he will deal with your enemies. He will deal with them in this life or the next. And those are strong words of love to you. Believe them and let them be your counterweight to the injustice you are suffering. And then the Lord says something else to affirm his love. And like many true words of love, they're gently challenging to us. First Peter chapter three, verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do to do good, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. He's saying suffering's not the worst thing that can happen to you. The worst thing is to be someone who doesn't know God, to be someone who doesn't talk to God. Answer this question today. Would you rather be suffering and know the eyes of the Lord on you, or would you rather be happy and carefree with the face of the Lord set against you? There are far worse things than suffering. Peter ends verse 13 by saying, do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. In the midst of suffering for for doing what is right, we sometimes run from our belief system. We run from our belief system, our circumstances. But Peter says that we should not allow this to happen. If we're going to suffer right, we have to stay calm and listen to and believe the affirmations and promises of God's love until they become weighty. The fourth counterweight to your suffering is your witness. This is your witness. Let's see if this works today. This is a great weight that changes everything. Your suffering can give you a witness that is a blessing to other people. When you realize that your suffering can actually be used by God to glorify him and lead people to Jesus, that can tip the scales and fill you with joy. Let's start with something I've already mentioned a few times. Suffering suffering can uh, be occasion for temptation, and temptation is selfishness. Sometimes when we suffer, it consumes us. All we can see is our life. All we, can, all we feel is our hurt. All we know is our need. But we have to remember the great opportunity that we have. Verses 15 through 17 says, but in your hearts sit apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reasons for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect keeping a clear consciousness that those who speak maliciously against you, your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Suffering Christians need to see that other people are suffering. Suffering Christians need to see that their suffering can give them credibility with other people who are suffering. Our suffering may be used by God to bear witness the love of Christ to other people. And if some of those people are unbelievers, wouldn't it be wonderful if they become Christians? 
Peter says we, would, we should always be prepared to give answers to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. He gives the instruction within the context of suffering. Here's what I think he's telling us. He's saying, yes, seek Christian connection. It's gonna be with Christians that you're gonna be prayed for, encouraged, and challenged with the truth. But don't shut the unbelievers in your life out of your suffering. Don't hide it from them. Don't hide it from your unbelieving coworkers, your unbelieving neighbors, the extended family that you have that doesn't believe. Share with them, with them, and share with them what you're going through. They're gonna ask you the questions probably, hey, how are you doing this? What is happening to you in your life? And you can answer them like, hey, this is how I'm coping with this. I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying. I'm connected at my church. They're helping me get through this. And you can also say, you want, do you want to know how Jesus has helped me get through this? And they might cut off that conversation right there. They might think, hey, Keith is crazy. All he wants to do is talk about Jesus. But Peter says there will be some who speak maliciously of, your, of, you, of you for your faith in Christ. But he implies there's going to be others who are interested. And that's where you share God's love That's where you tell them that Jesus died on the cross for their sins, and he promises to be with you and them to the very end of age. We gotta be able to share that. We gotta be able to be that witness. John Piper wrote a booklet in 2006 after he was diagnosed with cancer. The title was Don't Waste Your Cancer. And you can substitute any suffering that you're dealing with right now for the word cancer. Don't waste whatever you're dealing with. Don't waste your grief. Don't waste your bankruptcy. So how do you make the most of your suffering? By knowing that your suffering is part of your story, but it's not the end of your story. Let me say that again. How do you make the most of your suffering? By knowing that your suffering is part of your story, but it's not the end of your story. And so you can speak openly about it to your non-Christian friends, knowing that they will give you credibility, that few other things will. And wouldn't it be wonderful when you're in heaven one day, you bumped into somebody and they say, hey, I remember when you were going through that, that thing in your life, that suffering in your life, and you told me this is how you're dealing with it. You told me this is how you're connected to the church. You told me this is how you're praying. But you told me most important about Jesus. And today I'm in heaven because you told me about Jesus. Is your suffering heavy? You might not be able to fix it, get out of it, change it, but you can outweigh it with the glorious spiritual realities. See, we can start piling these things onto the scale of the, on our mind, connecting with believers, the cross, the love of God, the powerful witness of your suffering, keep piling them on until the scale starts to tip. And you can see that Jesus is, you can see Jesus. The suffering won't disappear. Sometimes suffering comes and goes in our life. Sometimes it's there all the time. And it's sitting there for all to see. But at some point, the scale tips 
And the heaviest thing in your life is no longer your suffering. Instead, you feel the weight of the glorious realities. Church, today I've given you four different things that I think can make us more comfortable, make it easy for us to to balance the suffering that we're dealing with in our life. And like many of you are here today, you're probably dealing with suffering, and in my life I've dealt with it too. I've lost family members. I've, there's times just when I was early in our marriage, we were work, I was working in a factory. It was Thanksgiving weekend. We, went, we did our job, we left for the weekend, come back, and, and that Monday, out on the shop floor, and the supervisor comes out and says, hey, I need 12 of you to come over here. You 12. Man, I hate to do this, but we gotta let you go. I'm like, what? I just, my wife just went Black Friday shopping. <laughs> and I remember packing up my toolbox, heading out to my car, putting it in, driving home, thinking, how am I gonna tell Marn that I lost my job? She's, she's a stay-at-home mom taking care of our kids, attending school at night. I was the only income at that time. I remember walking in, and she would greet me, welcome me home, and she knew something was wrong right away. She said, what's wrong? I said, I lost my job today. I don't know how we're going to do this. I don't know what we're gonna do. And I remember standing in the kitchen and us just crying and praying, God, why me? Why now? What are we gonna do? We did something. We ran to the people that we were connected with in the church. They prayed. They said, we're here for you. What do you need? They helped us along. And remember God's love. We remember the cross. And remember that I had to be a witness. God provided the job a couple months later. But I know that I've been able to share that story with people along the way who have lost a job. And say, look, I've been there where you're at. And let me tell you the things that I did. Let me pray with you. And church, I don't know where you're at today in your suffering, but I know this, we can outweigh it. We can, get, we can add these four things that can get, help us counterbalance it. But one of the things that we can do together as a football team is pray. So with every eye closed, if you're here today, and your suffering is weighing you down, and you're, you just don't know why this is happening, and you're tired to tired of dealing with this, you just want me to pray for you today. Will you just stand where you're at? If you're just going through something in your life, you say, I'm suffering, just stand. 
Let's not worry about who sees us, whoever. Remember, we're that football team. We're family. Just stand. Church, I want to ask that if there's someone standing by you, can you just put a hand on their shoulder as we pray today? Father, I thank you for today. Thank you that your word shows us how we can outweigh our suffering. And God, there's many people in this room today that are standing because they're dealing with some kind of suffering in their life. God, you know if they need a physical touch right now, God. You know if they need healing in their body. You know if they need, if they need finances, God. You know their situation. And God, they're standing today saying, it's, it's, it's weighing me down, God. God, I pray right now that, God, you just touch them, meet their needs right now. But God, let us remember the four things that we can apply in our life to help us counterbalance this. But God, I also pray, let us be a light for you too. God, we look forward to how you're gonna work in everyone's life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.